Hello guys, welcome back to Board Draw, episode 35? 35. 35, we're getting into it now, and today we got a nice special guest, we've got Mr Casey Evans with us, how you doing Casey? I'm good thanks, I think 30, 35 episodes might be a bit further than getting into it, but <laughs> I think, yeah. So uh, Especially because we, we turn out, so, especially like when the World Cup came round, because there was football literally every single day, we were just churning out so much content that we haven't really clocked how much we've done. But yeah, it's, yeah, so much football recently. Yeah, and especially now we're getting into the nitty gritty of the season. Yeah, Champions League's League season, back. Champions League, yeah, it's all kicking off. So much football. But yeah, no, it's all good. How how are you feeling about the um, the Premier League table so far? Obviously, you're a Man United fan yourself. Had a little bit of a stumbling start to the season, I would say. But... Um, Seem to be evening out now, dark and not horse. even evening out, kind of pushing onwards. Yeah, yeah it's looking. I'm saying dark horse for a title race. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go far as dark horse for the title race. I, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping the modesty. I saw a lot of people on Twitter. It's like, oh, how can United fans not think the be part of the title race? And I'm like, has Twitter indoctrinated everyone so far that we're just kind of now at a point where everyone has to be in a title race if they're somewhere within within a couple of points. Yeah, percent. Um, but at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where we are. I think that we, we're doing well, and whatever comes from the season comes from the season. I'm hoping we get some silverware. I'm hoping we finish in the top four. But I'm not really gonna go. Oh, let's get into the fight with Arsenal and City and see what happens. So yeah, I think that's quite a, a like a, a thing that's happened recently is that Arsenal have obviously had an amazing season so far, and they've sort of. It's like you're looking at it. Maybe it's the Arteta project now is finally paying off because they stuck with him and they give him time. And a lot of people are now correlating Man United to being in the early stages of their Ten Hag project. But you're looking at it now. Though some of the football that you are playing is unreal, and maybe that's all down to Marcus Rashford coming into a great form, and maybe the loss of Ronaldo. But yeah, it's interesting to see that because Arsenal obviously. What are they like four years into their Arteta project? Yeah, like three and a half. Yeah, yeah, three and a half years, and obviously it's paying dividends now. It's at top of the table, but um, yeah, how do you feel about like sort of the them bringing in Ten Hag, adopting his sort of philosophy around football, and backing him a little bit in the transfer window? Well, yeah, it, it was kind of what we all wanted. It was what we all wanted, um, kind of like a, a bit of like streamlined thinking. I think it's probably yeah. the way to put it. It's like we wanted to bring in a manager. For to actually buy players that the manager wanted, or at least in the profile of the manager wanted, and we wanted everyone to kind of be on the same page going forward. So I'm glad that that's happened. Obviously, we need to invest a bit more, get some more players. Obviously, as you mentioned, Ronaldo's now left, so that kind of leaves a massive thing up front. And I think, I think the problem, I think the thing with most United fans is they're kind of happy not to be involved in the title race in terms of the conversations because, as you know, a lot of our goals come through Max Rashford. Yeah. Uh, and we've only just, I think, got into double figures in goal difference. Like, we, we're, we're still not great. We're, we're getting the results and everything, but there's that thing where you're always like, yeah, there's going to be a couple of bad results in there. And as soon as those bad results come, we're not in the title race anymore. Or we're not, if we were ever in it in the first place. So, yeah. but I'm happy with what Ted Hag's doing. I'm happy with the football he's bringing. As you said, he, we've been playing some great football. Yeah, and like we said, it's still super early days. We're only half a season into his tenure at United. And like you've said, there hasn't really been a kind of blip as per se yet. You're in like quite a lot of wins at the moment. And it's kind of similar to Arsenal. This season, we had lots of wins and now we're on back-to-back, no wins. And it's how the players react to 
not getting decent results. And it's similar to Man United. It'll be interesting to see if, say, Ten Hag has a couple of bad results, how he handles it, how the team handles it, and how the fans handle it. Because I feel like Arsenal fans and United fans are quite similar in the sense that they're very vocal all over Twitter. That's all you get is angry Arsenal fans, angry United fans. I feel fans. like Arsenal and United are one of the two fairer uh, clubs in terms of their fans on their opinions around their managers. I feel like a lot of United fans gave Oli Gunnar Solskjaer a lot more time than maybe he warranted mm. uh, in that job. And when Arteta wasn't getting the results he, he should have been getting earlier on in that Arsenal project, Arsenal fans did decide to stick by him. There was the, you know, the, the, the loud minority with the Arteta out. So I, I feel like in that sort of sense, they they're quite you're quite lucky in terms of your fans in your boat respective clubs. Whereas you get fans in the clubs like um Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea che- fans are Chelsea just different fans, breed though, yeah, aren't they? They pine for for managers long gone. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Chelsea fans very quickly went against Potter. At least in the stadium. I think that's I think that's the kind of the difference is like online you obviously can vocal extremes are projected on either side it's like oh if someone's incredibly positive the people who want to support the manager will put that up if people are incredibly negative the really negative opinions will get put up I think what Arsenal fans and United fans is always a good measure is how they act in the stadium I yeah because obviously United fans did start booing uh, football last season when it was Raniak. Um yeah. but Chelsea fans singing for Thomas Tuchel when you're about three months into <laughs> Graham Potter's reign is not a great sight really no. No, I totally agree. And I think um, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's, yeah, like you said, you kind of get that sense at the stadiums that either a team will back their manager or won't back their manager. And I think, so being at a couple of Arsenal games a season, you really tell like, and even it's, Arteta's come out and said it and the players have come out and said it, that the atmosphere at the Emirates, Arsenal has always been like touted as this stadium that's a bit of a library. But apparently this season, and from the games I've been at, it's been crazy. So, it's, yeah, you can see that when a team are backed by their fans and they can feel it in the stadium, yeah, it's good. And I think Man United are kind of similar to that now, aren't they? You see, like, Marcus Rashford putting up crazy numbers. The fans are seeing football that they enjoy. And you could kind of compare that to Spurs, where the fans are, all I'm hearing is that they're sick of Conte ball now. And it's, the fans want to see more than just, like, a name. They want yeah. to see football that inspires them. It's, it's amazing what a couple, what some wins can do for you though, isn't it? You could turn a, a ground from yes. a graveyard into literally like a rave yeah. with a couple of wins. But um, yeah, no, it's really interesting. You, you spoke about Marcus Rashford there. Obviously, I think since the turn of um, the... Like World Cup ended. The World Cup ended. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. He's, he's like... He's, Pretty much outperformed Haaland every week. Probably got be like the best player on the planet at the moment, surely. I I struggle to think of anyone in the Premier League, let alone like maybe the planet, who is hitting the heights of Marcus Rashford. Casey, what do you reckon his turn of form has been? Because like in the World Cup, he looked really good as well. So he came into the World Cup on like a couple of goals and then got playing. So he was behind Saka in the pecking order for England, but came on and played quite a few minutes, got a couple of decent goals and then he like yeah came out of the world cup absolutely flying what do you reckon his upturn in form has been down to uh i would say there's a, a very big roadblock in his way been removed uh <laughs> i'll put it as that way um i think he showed glimpses of it before the world cup i think yeah. that was quite clear um especially like we saw in the europa league and some um 
like those, I think there was a headed goal. I can't remember. I think it was against uh, Sheriff Tiraspol where he just ran into the box, found the space and headed it. And I, when yeah. everyone saw that, they were like, oh, that's something we've never seen from Rashford before. That sort of awareness in the box and the heading ability. Um, yeah. And he's obviously, since then, he's put, he's put it in it's the back of the net with his head quite a few times. Um, but yeah, I think the I think the thing with Ronaldo was he had a very he had a very uh, what's the word he he it was very clear how he wanted to play the game and that was he wanted to be the one who received it on the left hand side of the pitch. The mm. only problem is is that's where Marcus Rashford it yeah. occupies the space. So I think that now Ronaldo's gone, it's given Rashford a lot more space to operate in. He's not running into Ronaldo. He's not he's able to run into the box. And I think. I honestly think one of the biggest things has been what Benny McCarthy's been doing behind the scenes with a lot of our forwards. You can see that a lot of our forwards are making better shots or actually more confident taking shots. I think yeah. that you, you see Rashford, he gets on the ball, he actually looks up and he's like, oh yeah, yeah I'm going to shoot there. And he can do it yeah. left and right as well. That's the thing. Like When it came into this season, I was like, Rashford is a left winger. He probably will be a left winger for the rest of his career. He started as striker, but now it's the left wing. But now I'm like, could be a striker. He's like left foot, right foot, headers. Like his movement off the ball is great. Like yeah. everything that he was kind of missing, um, even when he was at his best, I think is just kind of, he's kind of taken up this season. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, think this flying. is, I think this is the, 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 the biggest peak he's hit so far mm. in his career. And obviously, from an outside perspective of someone who doesn't watch him every single week, you can always tell with him, especially in uh, like the game against PSG, where I was for a bit of this is this is me game. Yeah, he's always had like his ceiling, like that he could hit. He's crazy. To be honest, it might be up there with the levels of like an Mbappe, like he, he, in terms of the absolute best best version of Marcus. Yeah, Rashford. he's got like all the attributes, doesn't he? He's big, he's fast, he's strong, he's technically brilliant, technically brilliant. And like you said, now he's picking up that sort of killer instinct. He's picking up spaces that he wouldn't have. Previously, when he was a bit younger, maybe he's finding himself in positions. He's learning how to create chances for others by generating space for them. Yeah, I think he backs himself a bit more now. Like back in the day, he'd have stars around him that he'd be like, "Oh, I'll give him the ball when he can steal the show." But now, I think he thinks he's the main guy at United, and I think he's thriving under that kind of uh, responsibility, which is uh, nice to see. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think I think there was a time when you, you you saw with Rashford, you had his base level confidence, but then you had his uber confident self, which you, you sometimes see at the time where he's like, "I'm going to try and dribble past everyone," and you're like, yeah, yeah, "No, yeah. don't do, no, don't do that." Like you're going to get stopped. And I think like under Ten Hag, uh, well under Solskjaer, when he got the best out of him, but now under Ten Hag, you're seeing like a manager who's going, "Okay, you can dribble past people, but don't do it every time." Here's yeah, like yeah. the little level we want you to kind of stay in the little. It's like it's like when you're playing like a, a video game and it's like that that red there, red there, green there, and you got to just kind of yeah, keep it. Like just, like, just stay, just stay time. there. Yeah, just yeah. stay there. We don't want you. We don't want you like not confident to take people on, but we don't want you trying to take everyone on. Just in yeah. that little zone. So I think that's kind of where we're, we're seeing Rashford right now. No, yeah, I totally agree. I think he's flying. Someone who has maybe divided opinion quite a bit since his introduction is uh, Anthony. As a United fan, how how do you feel about him? Because I, I I see a lot of either you love him or you hate him. And I've been slandering him, and I feel I don't feel bad about it. I'm an Arsenal fan, by the way. Luke's a QPR fan, and I've been slandering Anthony not because I think he's bad, like a bad player. He's perfectly fine. I don't mind that. I think just when you see on one side what Rashford's doing and how direct, I love players that are direct. Like I love Saka, 
Rashford, those kind of players that will square you up and just be like, I'm going to beat you every single time. Whereas I think Anthony, for me, he just like recycles the ball too much. He's just so, he's so cautious. And I, I feel like you love saying that you should be playing futsal. I think he's a futsal player. What do you think? I think when you have that sort of price tag on you, you're always going to have this this yeah. problem that you're always going to have this expectation that you you probably won't. Meet. And I think I think it always there's there's two different levels to that. I think if you have that price tag on you, you'll always have like problems meeting it. I think if you have that price tag on you when your team still needs investment in other areas, it gets so Very much true. worse. Yeah, I think I think like Jack Grealish, 100 million City fans didn't even really bother with it. They're like, yep, Jack Grealish. It's like when he plays, it's all right. I'm not yeah. really going to like comment on it. There wasn't like anyone going for his head, but that was because that City team was absolutely rock exactly. solid all the way through. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think he's, he's 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 had this expectation to come in and he's like, yeah, he's 85 million. He knows how Ten Hag plays football. He knows what Ten Hag wants. He'll be like insta fit, know what he's doing, all that sort of stuff. I don't. I think obviously we've all had this perfect idea in our heads. I don't think that's the case. I think he knows what Ten Hag wants of him. That's why he's quite conservative and how he tries to bring it back in and tries to play it. Yeah. And I think that we're only now recently seeing right backs that kind of mimic the sort of movements that Ten Hag wants from his right back. So when he was recycling it, it was because no one was overlapping. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a bit of that as well. And I think it it was one of those things that I think he was never really going to hit the ground running this season. I think he was going to get some goals. He probably would eventually yeah, grow into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like he has that strike in him. That's that strike is always is always a good get out clause for those sorts of players that kind of have that have to have that time where they're like, yeah, they can just curl one in the top corner, and you're like, yep, yeah, hundred percent, fine, yeah, I'm happy with that. Can't really stop that <laughs> yeah. one. Yep, um, but I think the longer Ten Hag's project goes on, the more he'll look better. But obviously, as I said, the problem is is people want results straight away because yeah, of how much it costs. Yeah, interesting. Just before we move on to talk about VAR and the problems that that's causing us, um, vexed. Um, you brushed on the point that Ten Hag is now getting right backs that want to that do what he wants in his system. It's been quite an interesting season for Man United in terms of their right, but in terms of their whole back four, really, you've seen. I think they lined up against Leeds with uh, Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire, which yeah. is strange to see. But Diego Dallo and uh, Aaron Wan Bissaka. I know Dallow's been out recently with uh, a few injuries. I think he, he did he play against Leeds. I can't remember. Off the top yeah, of I think he was back against Leeds. Yeah, only. Against Leeds. But Aaron Wan-Bissaka came in, notorious for being sort of a very good defensive right back and lacking a bit of uh, forward Thinking, brain power. Yeah. yeah, but he came in and I don't think he looked out of place in that Ten Hag system. I thought he was actually quite impressive in a few games. Yeah, uh, I mean, before we, we get into the right back situation, I'm just going to say Lissandro Martinez, love him to bits. I absolutely yeah, yeah. adore that man. I, I, I thought it was great at Ajax, and he's just exceeded my expectations of how he's really slipped in. So we're just going to get that out of the way. Also, I'm going to say that because <laughs> you're an Arsenal fan and yeah. you didn't get it. So, <laughs> I mean, you're happy with Zinchenko probably, but still. Um, but yeah, in terms of our right backs, um, I think wan always had a deceptive... He was deceptively good at carrying the ball forward. Um, yeah. which which he had really good numbers. I think no one really ever noticed those sort of numbers. But his, his dribbles in like the middle of the pitch were always quite good. Um, yeah. It was always his problem that he just never seemed to know what to do once he got past like the final into the final third. It's and like our with... problem with uh, Nuno Tavares. Very similar. Where quite well. he said, yours is the back is the back third with Nuno Tavares. He was just <laughs> yeah, sending around in the top third. It just didn't come back. Carrying the ball, he's just crazy. 
Maybe he was just blending them into one player. Yeah. But no, I totally agree. I think Wan Bissaka, he he's got everything you want in a defender. He he's like ability to uh, uh tackle a man one on one, different level. His ability to beat his winger, different level. But yeah, it's like you said, it's in those clinical areas in the final third. The right pass. Yeah, he, he can't seem to consistently find the right final I think, pass. Um Wilfred Zaha said it. He was like there was a point in the game in a game against May United where he was like three on goal and he's like the only person that could make that tackle is was Aaron Wamsaka. Yeah, yeah. He looked on his shoulder yeah. and guess he was there. Yeah. But I think we've seen in terms of like tactical play, a lot of teams are adopting a formation where they'll play a flat four at the back, but when in possession they'll drop it into a three and the um one of the, the wing backs. Yeah, one of the wing backs would tuck in and create a like a block in the midfield. Hmm. Wouldn't Aaron Bissaka be like the ideal player for that? It it was always that was always a um a, a question mark that a lot of people brought up whether Wan Bissaka would be a good DM. I think I think he panics a bit too much when he's on the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I always say about Wan Bissaka is he's really good one on one. You put two people against him, he has no clue where he's going. <laughs> I think it's I think it's always it's always been clear when he has a run at the back post, he'll always mark the person who's in front of him and never the person who's behind him. But I remember there was a game against City, maybe last season or season before. It was a two-one or it was two-nil. Sorry, Jao Cancelo ruined us because what Pep did was he put Foden out wide and he just said Foden just go and stand on the touchline. They're like, oh, stand on the line here. Foden just stood there, wait till Wan Bissaka came up to think he was going to drill past it, and every single time he just played into Jao Cancelo, who had just this massive amount of space because Wan Bissaka oh, yeah. was just nowhere near it. Um, but yeah, and I think that positional awareness in the midfield would be just 10 times worse. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah big time. So uh, that's my that's my thought on it. Uh, but he has done that a little bit of inverting, um, I think, um, currently. I think because Dallow does it a lot. I know Dallow is the one who usually inverts, and that's why he doesn't overlap as much. Yeah. Because on the other side, you just have Luke Shaw, who is genuinely just a perfect defender. Like, a, per- a perfect ball. I think he's an excellent player. Yeah, I mean, he is quality. Yeah, he's kind of... He's had his critics throughout his time at Man United, Jose Mourinho being one of his biggest critics. But um, yeah, he's just blossomed into like United's most probably consistent player throughout all the different managers that you've had in the past like three or four years. And yeah, I'd say he's probably England's best left back. I know Ben Chilwell is in the discussion, but he's injured all Always the time. Always injured, yeah. And I, yeah, I really like Luke Shaw. I think he's so dependable. He, he yeah. is one of those sort of like enigmas of football because he was so brilliant at Southampton. Yeah. And then you made this move and it, you you look back on it, you say it never really worked out. But the closer you look into it, he, he has always been there. Yeah. And throughout the seasons, and he's had really good points throughout his seasons. And I think it's the struggle of keeping those performances. Maybe instead of having like an 8 out of 10 for like three months of the season, maybe dropping that to a 7 out of 10, but for the whole season, because he will drop those games where he has clangers. But maybe that's just due to who he's being partnered with in that left centre-back role. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think there was there was obviously the lead break, which really, I think, hampered his... Like, yeah. I, think, and I think he's only recently had the pins taken out for that. So that's how long that's been kept with him. Um, but I think the thing with Luke Shaw as well is that he, he came at a time when um, fullbacks, especially in the terms of out, attacking output, very much was then focused on the results basis of it. In yeah. terms of you had Trent getting 15 assists, you had Robertson getting double figures as well. Like you had other 
fullbacks. I'm trying to think of names off the top of my head, but yeah, you know what so I mean. Like, Jock and like uh, like coming in and doing double figures and doing all this, and then yeah. Luke Shaw. When you looked at like the numbers underneath, he was like, "Oh yeah, he's actually making a lot of chances." It's just United can't score anything. Like yeah, we yeah, just yeah. had bad attacking spells, but he was like, "There, oh, here's three or four chances a game," and you're like, oh, "Okay." Like he's still quite good going forward, but he just doesn't get the credit. Because I think the thing with it with with creators, and it's always been a problem that I had with creative players, is they never seem to get the flowers unless the person in front of them does the things that they need to do. Like he's like, "Well, a guy can have like ten of ten to fifteen missed assists that you will never remember." But yeah. the Best like Giroud in the season where Arsenal were competing with Leicester for the Prem and Ozil was on like 19 assists before Christmas and then after Christmas he put up the same kind of like chance creation numbers but Giroud didn't score another goal post Christmas and it's just that kind of thing where Ozil could have smashed the um, assist record by about 10 to 15 assists but because Giroud decided to take the second half of the season off uh, Ozil sat there on 19 assists. It's crazy. Yeah, as my friend Carl Anker would say, it's a it's the curse of it's the curse of Thierry Henry. That one, no yeah. one will ever beat those 20 assists. He's cursed yeah. everyone. <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, should we move into something that happened during the last game week of football? We're gonna yeah. obviously we're gonna be talking about VAR, PGMOL, just the absolute catastrophe they had um, across the Arsenal and Brighton games. And even the Chelsea-West Chelsea Ham game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was not a weekend for Howard Webb. He's the, uh, the head of PGO Moroni. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he came out with a couple of apologies. VAR, we've had it for a while now. And he, I was watching the um, the England-Italy Six Nations game. I oh, yeah. a bit yeah. of that. And I was at a point where one of the England players, he, he like pushed a potential defensive like. Italian player over during uh, when England scored like the second try or something and instantly went to decision in about a minute they cleared it up referee said foul no try whatever bosh done clear as day everyone was communicating clearly everyone knew what was happening Brentford Ivan Tony, right how do we go from meticulously drawing like lines where you're you're measuring like the inch of someone's like pinky toe against like someone else's forehead to give an offside. And for some reason, you just forget to draw the lines. Yeah. And then they spent so long looking at one kind of aspect of that decision that they missed the actual offside. And it's, I don't know, Casey, where do you stand on like VAR? Are you uh, like a big hater? Are you like thinking it's doing about what it's doing? Are you thinking you pro VAR? Where do you sit on the, the debate? I think the thing is, is VAR as itself as a concept and as technology is great. I think it yeah. makes sense. Like it always, it was always the the, the natural progression of whilst we have we have TV cameras, we have people seeing it at home who have like fifteen replays. They're definitely going to get on our backs if we don't actually start using them properly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's always it, but the problem is, is it's it's there's still the same people using them, and yeah. it's still the same people using them, and the rules are still based in what was there pre-VAR they've not been fully adapted for VAR so yeah. I think that, that, that you kind of just end up in this weird situation like I mean this weekend is a completely different scenario where it's just been what Jam. happened like yeah. what actually happened here it's like yeah because um, I because I, I remember the first the first ever VAR where it was like I think it was United 
or I saw in the United game was I think it was United in the Carabao Cup or something. And I remember just one that I got called offside and it was the most slanted, drawn on crayon line okay. I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, is this is this really where it's going? And then like within exactly. half a season, it was like, oh no, we can we can like if he's that much offside, like a fraction of a hair, yeah, we'll call it. Um but yeah, I, I think I think Howard Webb's probably I, I this is just my opinion. I you think as since he was brought in to try and shake things up, hmm. I think he might be slightly happy that this has happened. I mean, obviously that's just I'm not I'm, I don't know him, so I'm not gonna say that's my opinion on it, but like it's yeah. given him a reason to go, right, let's get everyone in and you have to listen to me because you just did that. Like yeah, you yeah. can't you can't you, you can't just go. Oh no, but it's just a little mistake. It's human error. It's like no, you you forgot to draw the lines. Like <laughs> there's no there's no two ways about it. You forgot to do it. Yeah. <laughs> like you actually like dropped two teams that are competing for European football. Just, but if you, you lost think about like the 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 outcome of that, like there's people who probably bet money on the game. There's I mean the teams get winning loss bonuses. You got players who are won win bonuses. You got Ivan Tony getting paid out his goal bonus. Oh, yeah. Ivan so, Tony's probably lost his bets. Yeah, he's lost his bets because he he bet on a one 0 <laughs> yeah. So who knows? I mean the outcome of it is is massive. Not just in terms of the the gambling as well, but, or like the the monetary side of it, but also Arsenal. They are now out of you know two points or yeah two points in a title race that is gonna it's gonna come down to like a point either way or something like that. So or City Steamroyer. Yeah, so it's it's one of those where. I think it's a a lose lose in terms of Arsenal and Brighton because what can you do? You complain and nothing changes, but then if you don't complain, nothing changes. Well, so it's, it's, it's kind of also like you can't retroactively now go in and change the result of a game. Yeah, unless like unless it was something drastic where like you found the entire um, Brentford team were hopped up on like yeah. yeah steroids or something prior to the match, and maybe you have a case, but. It's like they're talking about Man City, all the, um, the saga that's going on with them at the minute, retroactively stripping of their titles. Honestly, I think you could ask like most fans. I don't think they they care anymore. Like this season's been, yeah. if you get another title, another badge, or another a star on your badge. To be or fair, whatever, United would get three extra prems. How do you feel about that, Casey? If they were to strip, I mean, Man I, mean, City. I mean, Liverpool would get three extra ones as well. So let's let's just yeah, let's, 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 let's let's cherry pick which ones we want to give. Yeah. I think I think the fact is like you know. I, you don't really need to go back, but the problem is, is that it's going to take so long that City case. If we just yeah. touch on that secondly, like, like City could have more titles by then. But I feel like, in terms of that, I think in if from the minute they've been charged with all this, I think if you go next two years, if it takes us two years to do this because of paperwork and working yeah. through trials and doing all that, if you win two more tro- trophies, then we might question those. But we'll just leave the ones and all the fans can celebrate them in the pub as little asterisk titles and go, yep, yeah, we won three more. So it doesn't officially say it, but we know in our hearts, yeah, so on and so forth because of what they've allegedly done. So yeah, I think, I think there's, I think the thing is, is that, yeah, it might have a big say in the title race is probably the big thing from that. But then I, the thing is, it's like technology in the past has had a good say in the title race because my AirPods just fallen out. So we're just going to put that back in. I'm like, oh, one's just fallen out. So that's a great start. Uh, Technical difficulties of right. Usually, it's uh, yeah. Like, to be fair, it's usually right. me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just. Uh, yeah, and I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like um, you just need to look at it like, oh, the Liverpool City title race where it was one point. That yeah. was a one point because 
the Hawkeye saw that John Stones had got it off the line, I cleared it when it was on the line like that. And they're like, mm. oh, okay. So now that is actually, that's that's a positive use of it. And I think it is just the case of it's who you it's who's using it rather than. Yeah, I think it's always going to be that case. Whilst you've got kind of this like little selective squad of weird fan man, uh, like I don't know, this like group of white men just that sat just sat in a room. Yeah, just sat in a room dictating the entirety of English football is crazy. I think what annoys a lot of people though is that we don't get to hear the conversations going on. And I'm not saying that every referee should be mic'd up throughout the entire game. We should hear every little thing that happens. But when it comes down to VAR decisions, and they're, especially for fans, sat in a stadium. Yeah, the ones that take ages. You're sat in a stadium and sometimes it goes four or five minutes and you don't know what's going on. Mm. And you might have celebrated a goal and you've got to cut your celebrations short and you're watching a referee stand on the pitch. Yeah. Right All the players are standing around going getting drinks. You're sat there thinking, what's going on? I think we saw video footage of... Um... That Spurs fan. Uh, are you talking about the Spurs fan in the Champions League where Spurs scored like a last-minute winner and he was like vlogging it and he was cheering and all that and then it, the goal got ruled off. No, I was going to talk VR, about... And, you, and, oh, you've got to so... down a tangent. No, no I was going to talk funny. about... In uh, the A-League, the Australian League, oh, yeah, there was the video up, of yeah. the referee who was mic'd up and yeah, yeah. every decision you could hear and maybe... The development of VAR in the future brings something in like that because during the um, NFL as well, they do that. Mm. Referees announce decisions to the fans. You don't have to hear the entire process. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah, is he offside? Oh, actually, we go back and play a little bit. We don't want to hear about all of that, but we want to hear the important bits of conversation. So potentially we have referees yeah. who are mic'd up. We get to hear what's going on with the offside VAR team. And, you know, we get every, we get like, most ridiculous like angles on our cameras and we get like brilliant motion graphics and stuff. Surely mic up a referee for like three minutes of the entire game is not a problem. Yeah, I think the the, the thing with that is they don't I, I I think the thing is they don't want it to become the NFL, basically, where it's yeah, yeah. incredibly stops that. Because as soon as you it, it's one of those things, it's like they try to implement it with a very set like set of rules and they were like okay this is what we're looking at this is the only things we're going to look at and we're going to try and do them as quickly as possible as soon as you're like oh the mic's up they're seeing every angle it's like okay yeah. and then you've got a guy who's like well they can hear what i'm saying so now i have to actually talk through my entire process and show yeah, every single angle and say why i don't want that why i don't want that like why that doesn't matter and it kind of just gets into this long drawn out thing where you're like oh okay, now we're just like here for five minutes anyway because this guy now has to explain everything to everyone. I think the, uh, I think it is a general case of, I think offsides should be automated. I think we've had that in the Champions League already and I think that's standard. I don't think we should have like, oh, is he offside? I think it's like, no, just just get an automated system. Why do they are they not? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that system looks like it's pretty sound and the graphic they use is pretty understandable. Brilliant. Um, we spoke briefly about Manchester City, and, and we've got a massive game this evening. So I'm I'm very stressed at the moment. Do you see the news that apparently Thomas Party is out of the game? So that's scary. But we're not going to talk about Thomas Party. We're going to talk about one man for Man City called Erling Haaland. And I feel like everybody's had this debate this season because Man City are currently sat in second, yeah, you've rather even than like a little, uh, a little a post about it as well. Yeah, and I feel like. When you see Man City anywhere other than first by about 10 points, you think, oh, they've dropped off. 
uh, the thing is, is it is really weird because I, I don't think you have to be like a, a football analyst to to see that Man City compared to that them a season two seasons ago, the way they are they as a as a unit they are not nowhere near as fluid. Yeah, where do you stand on the debate that City are worse with Haaland in the team? Yeah, I, I did write about it, so I I, I have a I have an opinion at least. <laughs> it's probably the way to put it. Yeah, yeah I'm um, sure you do. Uh, I, I think the thing with City pre Haaland was, and I, and I I coined this, so I'm going to call. It, I don't think I coined it, but I'm going to I'm going to say I coined it because it makes it so smart. Um, is is they they subscribe to the everybody eats manifesto is what I always put it. It's like if you got on the ball and someone was running into space, like no matter who it was on the pitch, they could score. They could yeah. score. They could assist. They could create. Like it was just about who was in the position with space at the time. So you had like loads of players on double figures goals. You had loads of just everyone contributing. Like yeah. obviously Rodri used to get loads of goals because he just was the guy who would hang around the edge of the box and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Gundogan going like, crazy. Yeah. I just remember like, from FPL, them, both of them going on mad runs like over the last couple of seasons where yeah. they'd end up on like 10 goals in about six games or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So, but then they brought in Haaland, and it seems like that's now become one guy. One guy is feasting, and then everyone else is kind of like filtering into him. Yeah, and, eating the, the scraps. Yeah, and I, and that's a completely fine way to play football. Might, and I think I can use United as a kind of measure of this. Is like if Marcus Rashford isn't scoring for United, who else scores? That's where our problem is, and I think yeah. City obviously have other goal scorers but they've not figured out a system that allows them to have Haaland on the pitch and also have someone else getting the goals. I think against, I think he's getting it. I think he's, I think that game against Aston Villa was a bit more, yeah, he understood what he needed to do. It was insane. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the lineup and I was like, yeah, the tactical part of his brain has just strangled everything else there. And it's just yeah, like, yeah, here we time. go. I do not care anymore. Three, two, yeah, Bernardo yeah. Silva on at left back, who cares? Yeah, but it's, I think he's getting there with that sort of idea in his head. But I yeah. think it's just, it was the fact of, it's just they didn't, they sold a lot of people. They sold Sterling, they sold Jesus, they sold Zinchenko, which I think was, is probably their biggest one since of how Cancelo's uh, yeah. time went this season. Um, and it just seemed to be that they, their team wasn't as cohesive and their team wasn't getting as many opportunities to score from other areas. And I think that's, the tweet that Pep needed to make was, yes, I have this goal scorer who can score 30 goals. I can play like that sometimes. But while he's on the pitch, I can also go bring two people over and go, you go there, you go there and change it up and make it. So like, oh, these three guys can also score and get into the area that he creates. So I think that that was the, that's, that's the shift that they need to make. But I think they've got worse, but they won't be consistently worse with him. Yeah, I I agree. I've, I've, I've kind of got two points here. I think, if you're Man City and you're having this problem where you've brought in who is probably the best goal scorer in the world, he is just an absolute machine. You're like back in the day from like old footballing philosophy, you do want that number nine who scores all your goals, and that is how your system works. Like you're defensively solid, you build up through the, through the um, the breaks, and then you have a number nine who is on the end of everything. And they score a goal, and obviously most of Man City's success hasn't come like that. They've had players like Aguero and Jesus who are excellent in build-up play. And so, like, moving on to my other point is, like, potentially, would, would Harry Kane have been a better option 100%. as someone... Well, you say 100%, but Haaland's got, what, like, 200 million goals this season already? But... But... but, 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 but yeah, go on. Harry Kane, is, as a player, we know is 
unbelievable in terms of build-up and also unbelievably venomous in front of goal. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, obviously he's not as young as Haaland, but could that have been, you know, maybe that would have been the better play. I'll rebuttal you there. I think for Harry Kane, City wouldn't have had to change their system as drastically. Whereas Haaland, I think City probably didn't think they'd have to change their system as drastically, but I've learned pretty quickly that the system to get Haaland scoring goals needs a big change. So I think to, yeah, go on to your point, Harry Kane would have slotted in that team and they wouldn't have batted an eyelid. They would have continued playing as they were. But yeah, Haaland's invited a bigger change. I was watching the Champions League last night and um, I saw a clip of Thierry Henry talking about Man City and how he kind of, his view on the situation. And he just said that they're not Man City like we know them anymore. And I think that is just it. They're, they're still the best team in the league, probably. They're still probably one of the best teams in Europe, but they're just doing it in a different way. I think you look at like other teams around the world, and like so you've got like Liverpool, they're not the team they were. You're looking at Real Madrid, they're not the same team they were. Yeah. Barcelona, not the same team they were. Bayern Munich, they're not the same team they were. And a lot you've of them are PSG. coming because their teams are getting older now. Exactly, we're seeing transitions. We're yeah, seeing Man City, they've got a lot of players now that are in around 30. You're talking Bernardo Silva, Mares, De Bruyne, Gundogan. They're all getting They're all old. pushing, yeah. yeah so, so it's, both of them are probably looking at like a transition-y kind of situation. The question I'll put to you, Casey, and see if you can, get your, you, you can give us an answer to this. If So Man City, say they had a choice. They signed Harry Kane, they signed Haaland. In the world, they signed Harry Kane. That he slots more fluidly into their system, but maybe the the limit of what they could be as a team is lower because he's not the player that Haaland is, and he doesn't have as much time left compared but to Haaland. If Man City, or well, they have, they've gone with Haaland. They've got Pep behind the wheel, so he's he's just mega minded it the entire time. Do you reckon that he will work it out? He will work it out, and it will end up being a better team for having Haaland in it as opposed to Harry Kane. Yeah, I think I think the thing with Haaland was it was like it, it, whoever could get him in the end of the day was gonna it it was it was the right decision. If you if you were yeah. the guy who decided to go to, it was the right decision because it, it was he's just one of those players that it's worth burning it all down for in the end of the day. Like he his his goal scoring rate is ridiculous. It's kind of like a sense of um if he if he scores all the goals he's gonna score, which he already has pretty much hit yeah, more yeah. than anyone expected. I think with Kane, I, I'm not I I'm not 100% sold on Kane at City. I think, obviously, it depends how he changes game. I think when he was playing a lot further forward for Tottenham, he obviously wasn't playing much as creatively. And I think he obviously got injured a lot more, was another mm. thing that factored into that. But I think he plays well at Tottenham because he's allowed to kind of drop off slightly and then play it into Son. And if, I mean, whether they would have stole Sterling in that case is another thing, but... They don't really have that kind of left-wing presence who's like, he's also another striker. I mean, yeah. if you've got Kane and Haaland, then uh, they could have done. I mean, <laughs> they have too much money. Um, that's really, uh, but in the sense of... And also, I think he kind of drops into that area that De Bruyne likes to operate in, which is the thing that I've always said with United in terms of people keep saying Kane. I'm like, well, he kind of drops into the area that Fernandez drops into. So it's kind of like, well, you're now negating one of your best players in that sense. And point yeah. another player, and people might say, "Oh, Harry Kane's good at that." Be like, "Well, you, you've removed the influence of one player to put in another good player." Yeah, he's is, not really playing in anything. Yeah, is the jump then that big? Yeah. So it's like, so in terms of his creative output, and then you look at his goal scoring output, and well, that's compared to Haaland. Um, 
But yeah, I think they'll figure it out. Like the thing yeah. is, is as you say, it's like it's Pep. He's he's one. Unfortunately, he's one of those managers who just looks at something and goes, "I'm going to change the system, and then I'm going to do it again, and I'm going to yeah. break all your souls because you spent the last three years trying to catch up to me." Like I feel like he probably hasn't slept since you know he probably hasn't slept in the last like month or so. Yeah, he's just, just got like diagrams up on his yeah. wall trying it's to. You know, it's funny. It's like that that the meme of Charlie when they walk into his yeah, office. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. Like, papers on the walls with strings, and he's yeah, like, like literally I've got it. Figure out how to make this work, and maybe Arsenal will be the ones on the uh, the suffering side tonight. Yeah, ever since I saw the Thomas party news, my ass has got a little bit tighter. I'm a bit nervous, but um, yeah. Should we um just should we talk about how the the top of the table is shaping up before we before we head off? So obviously Arsenal the sat at the top of the table. Ros is very happy, but he's a little bit nervous now. City breathing down their necks after Arsenal's last couple of games, and then we got the likes of you know United, Newcastle, yeah. hovering around there as well. How do you see the rest of the season playing out? I know that's the million dollar question because no one knows, but give us your best. How do you see? The season shaping up. Um, oof, big one. Uh, I, I think the the two city games, without, two Arsenal city games, are massively important. I think. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, is that City can get into that steamrolling form where they're like, oh, here's 19 games unbeaten or whatever. And I think yeah. that they could, that if they, it, the it's the teams that need to beat them to get ahead of them that they need to beat. Like that was that was the case with Liverpool as well. Um. So I think if you lose tonight, that could yeah. be massive. And I yeah. think that's kind of where I'm like, oh, I can't really make massive predictions because of, I think it depends on tonight and it depends on how yeah, that goes. No, I totally agree. Like you said, I think the two games against City are our two biggest games. If we get nothing at all, we're fucked. Like they'll already be ahead of us. And then, like you said, if they get on a run where they just start beating everyone, we're in trouble. I think if you get anything less than two points, like you need either two draws or you need like a win in one of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. For me, I'd take a win here and then a loss at um, the Etihad. But yeah, like you said, I think once City get going, the only thing, the thing that they've got for them is squad depth is crazy. It's not as crazy as it always has been. They're like light in a couple of areas, but they've still got better squad depth than us. And so if Party is injured and we miss him for a run of games, I could easily see us losing the games that we don't have party for. Oh, and you got rid of Sammy Lokonga, mate. Oh, no. Or Genio in now. So it's... I mean, it's I think like, is it Kiwa? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He can play defensive midfield as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, in terms of the rest of the table, uh, I think United and Newcastle will still stay in the top four. I'm pretty... I, Newcastle are just good. Like, it's yeah, they annoying are that they got good this quickly. Yeah. But Eddie Howe took his time off and he went and looked at Diego Simeone and he was like, yeah, I'll play properly against the people I need to play properly against you. And then just like against them, I'll just be like, you're just not getting past us. Like a low block. Well, it's also, it's annoying the way that they've done it as well, because they've got all this money, this Saudi money, but they barely, they they haven't really spent it. They've done it really sensibly. And like that, that is why that like, they've got a lot of people on their side where they're like, we don't even care about the Saudi money because we're just we're just doing it properly. And then they'll get into the Champions League, spend the Champions League money plus the Saudi money. Then they're coming for for Saka and Rashford. Yeah, and then it's game over for everyone. Yeah, it's just like it's like oh yeah, everyone who's going who's getting Victor Osterman? Is it is it going to be United? Is it going to be Paris <laughs> yeah. Saint Germain? No, it's it's Newcastle. Okay, yeah. that's great, great for that. Nice. 
fun yeah, times because he needs someone to replace Wilson. So yeah, two um, kind of absolute flops of the season: Liverpool and Chelsea. Who do you reckon finishes higher out of them two? I think Chelsea. Yeah, the, the recruitment's crazy. You've got the whole yeah. new squad now, don't they? I think that's the thing. Like they've just bought a new team. Like they've yeah. bought every single position. Like, and the thing, the fact is, is Liverpool. They've bought every position they needed. Yeah, bar maybe one or two, and Liverpool bought none, none. of them. So, like, <laughs> yeah, literally. like the only thing they needed, the the only thing they didn't need was another winger, and they got another winger in. They they were crying out. I think we said this every podcast. They're crying out for just some something in that midfield. Yeah. But I would like to say against Everton, that counter attack was devastating. Crazy, yeah. That Liverpool, when they were at their best, they were the best in the world at that defense to attack transition. And we got. And a I, still, uh, and I still say that it took two massive errors from Everton to actually let them score. Like I do yeah. not know where Pickford was going. Oh, Pickford. So, where do you stand on the... So, I have a vendetta against Pickford. I think he's so shit. Who do you think should be England number one? Pope. Pope? Yeah, I'd take that over Pickford. I think Pickford, he gets gets away with murder because he hasn't let England down. That doesn't mean... I've never let England down. And like he I should To be fair to Pickford, when he plays for England, he just seems like a completely different goalkeeper. But when you watch yeah, him it's sometimes, you're like, how is this man even in the England squad, let alone... The guy Genuinely. who's regularly keeping the post. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But, All right, a quick one, yeah? Yeah. Two of Ross's favourite players. You're starting the Champions League final tomorrow. Who are you backing? Hugo Lloris in goal for you or Jordan Pickford? Hugo Lloris, I think. Uh, I'd go Pickford. I'd go Pickford as well. I'd panic. They're both terrible. I think Pickford would... Um, Jonathan Liu did a really good piece on Lloris and he said that he looked... The way that he... He described him was he's like a boxer that's got old in the ring, and every single match you watch him, you're like, "Oh yeah, that guy can't do it anymore." And then he shows you another way in which he can't do it. I mean, he had a little bit of resurgence, like, and then he got injured again. But I yeah. think Pickford is just insane in terms of he'll just psych himself into it. Like he just psych- that's all he does. He just shouts at himself until he's good. That's how, yeah. how Pickford works. Yeah, hundred percent. I think yeah, Larice. Has more clangers, but he's in a better team, so he probably gets away with more. Whereas Pickford has perennially been in this shocking Everton team, and he'll have good moments and have bad moments. But I think that comes with the territory of being in that Everton team. So yeah, maybe I was a bit hasty picking Lloris, but I'd take neither of them. I'd play in goal in that case if I was stuck with them too. Is that the, is that the way it's going? Yeah, yeah. was for England. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, I think that we've we, we've covered quite a lot today. Yeah, but um, Casey, very thanks very much for uh, giving us your time coming on uh, the podcast and uh, giving us your insight. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug any uh, your Twitter or your your blog or anything? Uh, yeah, my, my Twitter's uh, at Casey underscore Evans underscore. I hate the underscores in there. It really annoys me. It makes it so hard to find. One day, the person who has just Casey Evans will relinquish it, and I will be. On it, I'll have I'll have an alert set up. I'll do whatever. We'll get our millions of followers to tell them to tweet Casey underscore Evans to cough it up. No, no, not even underscore. I just want Casey Evans. It's an account. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. No followers. Anyway, um, but then uh, yeah, and I also have a newsletter uh, played on paper. It's where I write all my stuff. I'm just in the process of taking it uh, paid, which is obviously it's like not great for the people who are listening. It's like you could have had it free too. <laughs> Yeah, I've given it a read and it is good. So even yeah. when he makes the pay to paid, makes the jump to paid, 
consider it. It's good stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I'm still, I've still got a couple of ideas in my head, but it's based on what um, I, I've been kind of like writing out a couple of drafts. But uh, I, I think I know what I'm going to be talking about this week, which is going to nice. be the first paid one. But if you want some, it'll be one unpaid one a month, and everything that's already on there you can read. So if you want to read nearly a dissertation's worth worth on Brazil and the World Cup nice. <laughs> and all those teams, it's there. <laughs> But yeah, that's basically that's my that's my two plugs. I think love it. We'll link we'll link it in the description. Yeah, everything well, yeah. down in the description below. Make sure you go check out Casey. Casey, thank you very much for coming on. We do appreciate your time, mate. Thanks, thank, thanks for having me. It's been great talking. It's been great having the chat, and also love great me. doing a theoretical situation of who would start net view at the Champions League final of Hugo Lloris <laughs> and Jordan Pickford. <laughs> shambles, shambles, shambles. But All yeah, right, cheers, Casey. Cheers, Have a good Casey. evening, mate.